0: hello everybody welcome back to beer and money i am ryan Burklow and i'm alex collins the best belly laugh in the world is alex <laughs> collins
1: oh uh, thank you for the uh the laughter ryan i appreciate that
0: happy thanksgiving everyone Couple, couple, yes happy thanksgiving i love this time of year it's my favorite time um alex and i of course have our beverage of the of the episode uh but before we announced that episode. Today, we're going to be talking about top three financial concepts that Alex and I have learned through our careers as financial advisors that we are truly thankful for. And what we mean by that is we're thankful that we used them and applied them in our own personal situation. Yeah, And obviously we coach to them with our current clients and on this podcast.
1: Yeah. It's just being able to implement these different strategies has made a profound difference for both of us and yeah it's uh i'm i'm incredibly thankful that we are where we are that we do what we do and you know thankful for you guys our listeners so let's talk about what we're drinking today alex today we are drinking festivus Uh, This is a holiday ale from one of our favorite breweries, uh, Black Raven, here in Redmond, Washington. This clocks in at 7.3 ABV, and uh, it's not our typical IPA, so it only has 48 uh, IBUs.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've done, I mean, this might be beer number four. Maybe from Black Raven. Uh, we both enjoy Black Raven's beers. We're probably homers because they're here locally here in Redmond to some degree. I'd argue that they've got really good beer too. So because I've tasted beers around the country, and this is one of my one of my favorite holiday beers that that any one brewery actually releases.
1: I completely agree with you in terms of like holiday beers. I typically do not like holiday beers like it, it
0: it feels contrived it's he's trying the grinch everyone i know this is a thanksgiving special but he's the grinch he's turning green his heart's getting smaller it's amazing
1: nah it's like the the pumpkin like people are trying to force a flavor into into beer beer is supposed to be beer it's not supposed to be like something that it's not and yes i know that you're now going to make fun of me for all my sours and whatever else but i i just have never been a fa- huge fan of holiday beers this is a really good holiday beer. So what are you giving it as a bottle cap rate rating? For a holiday beer, it's a 10 bottle cap. As a beer standalone by itself, I'm giving it a six.
0: Okay. I'm also going to give it a 10. If we're going to separate holiday and real beer, I guess, which is, I can't <laughs> wait to do a sour because it's <laughs> going to be amazing but for, for this one.
1: <laughs> Might get an eight and a one at the same time.
0: You'll find out. <laughs> 10 on the holiday scale And a regular beer I, I think it's a solid beer I, I give it a, an 8 on on the normal beer uh, Alex Collins rating system So uh, check them out Like Black Raven's got plenty of other beers That you can try out But from a holiday beer This is definitely one to check out
1: For sure And even for those folks that are like me That aren't huge holiday beer fans Check it out This is It's a good drink For all you other weird folks I'm
0: kidding I'm Kind of <laughs> No, no, I'm weird. So, so let's get into this, right? So, I mean, obviously we're thankful for a lot of things, right? We're definitely thankful for, I mean, I don't know, but I won't speak for you, Alex. Like we started this podcast really just for fun. And we started it really for, you know, just kind of more information for our clients. And we decided to release it uh, to the public and people actually listen to it. And so, and so much so that, We're now ranked in the business category. We were in the top 500 Uh, last I checked. Now, this was a couple of months ago. We may not be there. We might be higher, might be lower. I don't know anymore. But to get into the top 500 of all the millions of podcasts, thank you. Like I I really do appreciate everyone listening and uh, appreciate you all uh, listening to Alex and I uh, yammer back and forth from uh, the tops of the buildings. Yeah, no. This is it's been a blast. I've
1: enjoyed doing this. I'm very thankful for you know what we do as a profession for for our clients. I'm thankful for you, buddy, and I'm thankful that you pushed us to do this podcast.
0: Yeah, no, that that's ditto. Even though I'm not Mister Emotional, I'm giving you a a big hug uh, virtually.
1: Oh now
0: awkwardly. So let's get into it. That's my <laughs> emotional side of Ryan Berkley. Let's get into the the topic here. So top three financial concepts that you and I have learned over our careers. And actually, I would argue like one of these, maybe even two of them for me, have come in the last decade.
1: Yeah, uh, I think really kind of all three of these. These were concepts that I'd learned in the first decade, at least to a certain extent of being in the financial planning industry. But when when I made the change of firms about uh, 10 years ago now, that's when a lot of this really kind of like got hammered home with, okay, here's why this is important. Here's the, here's the math behind it. Here's the science behind it. Here is the reason why these concepts become really important. You know, one of the things that I'd been taught before is investments are not insurance and insurance is not investments. And they both deal with money and having money be the common link between the two of them, and that's not actually accurate. The common link between the two of them is cash flow.
0: And that, and that's a key. i want, I want our listeners to really understand that because I think you'll hear that, and many people will go, they'll either go, well, no dash, or like you guys are supposed to experts in this in this arena, and you just figured that out. They might be laughing at us, or. Someone heard that and think they understand it, but they really don't.
1: Yeah, it's it's an incredibly deep concept that feels very surface level.
0: So surface level, let's just start there. Surface level, right? The, The income that's coming into your household, if that income stops coming in the door, how are you building assets? How are you paying down debts? How are you living and living I mean, living's hard. Living's hard. How are you living your current lifestyle?
1: You're liquidating assets. I mean, that's really the only way to do it for most, for, for the average American, they can't do that for very long. For our clients, it starts becoming incredibly challenging within a relatively short period of time, unless they are at or in retirement where they've already started that process of
0: creating cash flow from their investments. Well, and you just you just said it at the end there. I think many people they get to well pre-retirement income is vital. When you're retired, well now it's not based on your income. You're right. It's not based on income from a job. It's income from your assets. Correct. So those assets are now the income producers. And depending on where those assets are, it may not kick off the income that you want it to, or the way you have to plan because of how you're set up from a protection side of stuff. So now correlating the insurance side, you have to, you may have to plan more conservatively because you have not protected yourself appropriately.
1: I, I came across something that I was reading this morning of a financial expert that was talking about an alternative uh, alternative asset class and that they'd learned this in August of this year because of what was going on in the markets. And the the revelation that they came across was both bonds were down double digits for the year and stocks were down double digits for the year. And the alternative class that they were talking about was cash and it was it's was just one of those things where it's like well, wait, wait this is the financial guru and expert that's talking about this and like it just cash flow from investments needs to be protected too and how you go about creating cash flow from investments
0: matters greatly so that's the link right the income coming in the door what you do with that money like that's the cash flow aspect So the decisions of how much should be invested versus savings, versus protection, versus paying down debts, right? versus vacations, versus lifestyle, those are the decisions that we make. Sometimes we make them with intention. Oftentimes, we might be making them uh, at a default, and that default is just like, well, I didn't think about it, and it just went there.
1: Yeah, I mean, like one of the common things that we talk about with our first when we first meet with clients is this concept of a financial junk drawer, where like, oh, I've got an old four hundred one k. It just it went in the drawer and I didn't look at it anymore, or I have this IRA or this thing that my parents set up for me that I don't really understand what it is. Oh, we're just going to set it in this drawer and we'll, we'll we'll pull it out if and when we need it. Oh well, how do you know when you need it? I don't know. Okay, is there any strategy to coordinate all these things? No. Ah, but and that's one of the first things we do, and that's part of this coordination between insurance and investments is making sure that we have a common link of cash flow, insurance providing cash flow protection now, investments providing cash flow protection later.
0: Yeah, it said, you know, Bob said this and I'll never forget this, right? Like financial planning is what most people think of is how do I grow my assets big enough and have my debts small enough so that I can buy all the stuff I want. Yep. Like that's financial planning, except for one other piece. How do you buy all the stuff that you want? If maybe the the net number coming into your pocket, maybe taxation, maybe different risks that are out there like inflation, how does that? How do you buy all the stuff you want if you haven't set yourself up appropriately? And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the link between investments and insurance or protection in this instance. Absolutely. Which takes us to number two, which kind of you know kind of goes into number one to some degree because it's part of the the planning and, and protection piece to, um, is having what we call a midterm bucket.
1: Yeah. And so this, this midterm bucket is the link between like, everyone gets the concept of having an emergency reserve. And it's one of these things that most people try to minimize because you typically never get a good rate of return on your emergency reserve. And people are always trying to look at it from a standpoint of like, okay, how little can I put there because I get no rate of return and I don't like my choices. There's, there's nothing sexy or exciting about this short-term bucket. That oftentimes gets titled emergency reserve. And even the name, emer- like emergency reserve, nope, I never want to touch that because it's an emergency. I don't want to have an emergency. Like it's this like massively negative thing, right? Yeah. And yeah. then we take a look at the other opposite end of the, you know, sexy rate of return. You know, getting tax deductions and tax free on the back end. And it's the investment world, it's retirement planning, it's it's all the stuff where we get to dream. But it's these two barbells where we have we know that we need to do some amount of emergency reserve planning, and we don't want to do it. It's kind of thought of almost like insurances, where it's like, hey, how little of that can I get away with doing? And then this big barbell on the back end of this retirement plan that like prevents us from currently spending, but we all know that we need to throw more and more dollars towards it. But there's this gap in the middle.
0: Yeah. So Alice is just explaining the short-term bucket being the emergency reserve and the long-term bucket being like your 401k or IRA retirement plans, essentially. And when you think about that, short-term is for today, long-term is for 20, 40. Fifty years from now, however you want to look at that the ta- that time frame. Well, what could possibly happen in that time frame that you might want extra money and to have access to it?
1: Well, there's a bunch of things, Ryan. Like, what happens when the kids go to school? How are we going to get access to dollars for that? Uh, most of our clients want to, you know, buy a place in Hawaii or a cabin by the lake or a cabin in the mountains or a timeshare so they can get away or an RV or a second property.
0: Right, real estate investment property, right? Or maybe they want to start their own company or maybe they want to invest in their friend's company. Like all of the opportunities that people say they, like how many times did we hear back in like, you know, 2014? I wish I had money set aside so that when 08 occurred, I could have bought real estate when it all crashed. The question I always ask them is, well, why didn't you? Well, I didn't see it coming. If we if we all see it coming, it'd be really really freaking easy to do it. Well, if we all saw it
1: coming, it wouldn't have actually happened because we would have had proper protection in place, and we wouldn't have had the cascading effect that that caused the problem because we all would have seen it coming and taken steps to avoid it.
0: So having this midterm bucket money that is accessible to you, and by accessible we mean. Where the market isn't necessarily having a huge effect on whether or not you take the money out, right? So this is a lower risk bucket, if you will. Now you can set up several buckets in this middle to, to tier it if you wanted to. But for the for the instance of this conversation, just for simplicity's sake, it's not a high-risk bucket. It isn't highly taxed, so it might have some tax efficiencies in it right? And you can get it within 24 hours or 48 hours or within a week, you know, make it that relatively
1: simple. short-term access to it. It's right? not so tied up long-term.
0: That's what we call accessible.
1: Yeah. And I mean, so much of this is just trying to help folks understand how these different concepts work. I mean, I, like everyone gets jazzed when we start talking about like, hey, let's find the most efficient strategy for retirement income planning. but. Very few people get jazzed when we start talking about, hey, let's make our emergency reserve as efficient and effective as possible. It's like wh- what? No, that's this like we want to do the same thing for each one of our buckets. We want to make it as efficient as possible from a liquidity, rate of return, taxation, uh, accessibility standpoint. Now the midterm bucket and the short term bucket and the long-term bucket are all going to be dramatically different things that we're going to prioritize but helping understand how do we optimize those different buckets given your specific circumstances.
0: So have a midterm bucket. I mean, it it allows flexibility, it allows leverage, it allows peace of mind. It allows a lot.
1: Well, it also prevents chasing rate of return, dealing with emotions, Fear, greed, it helps alleviate some of these things because we create a systematic method for where, when, and how we get access to funds for various different purposes.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned chasing returns, which takes us to kind of number three when we're talking about different types of assets and we talk about promise based assets versus market based assets.
1: Yeah. Uh, promise based versus market based or promise based versus opinion based. Uh, any time uh, when we say market, we're really talking about opinion, whether it's the bond market, the real estate market, the stock market, any market, we are talking about the collective opinion of everybody in the market. What is their thought on what the market should do? And if they think that the market is undervalued, well, then they're going to go out and buy a bunch of it and drive the prices up in the market. Again, whether it's the real estate market, the bond market, or the stock market, Conversely, if they think it's overpriced, then they're going to sell it and drive the prices down. Now, it could also be something where we don't necessarily want to sell it, but we have to sell it um, because we need to raise cash for whatever reason.
0: Versus a promise-based asset. So why don't we talk about that, Alex?
1: Sure. A promise-based asset is something that has uh, a, a set interest rate, a guarantee it is not based on the opinion of anybody. The money's there. Regardless of what's going on in the marketplace, it is backed up by the federal government or financial institutions or something of that nature where it has a set value. And we can very predictably know where it's going to be without volatility, without fluctuations, it's going to be plodding along. It's the the tortoise, if you will, if we compare the hare and the tortoise running the race, it is the slow and steady that is going to be there. And I'm not suggesting that the tortoise is the definitive one where we want to put all of our money with the tortoise. Nope, it has to be a balance. But Americans as a whole, we all think that the hare is super sexy because of the rate of return associated with it. And so we all chase rate of return and that is a very dangerous mentality. We have to have some balance between promise-based and opinion-based.
0: Yeah. It's funny you bring that up. So I was talking to a client just the other day and we were, um, he he had some money sitting in an account. We'll just call it ten thousand dollars. And what he was concerned about is, I'm not touching that money time soon. I might want to buy a house like in the near future. I, I try to get him to like whittle down. Like, what does define near future for me? Is this <laughs> right. tomorrow or is this like six years from now, ten years from now? And he, the best definition he could give me is, well, probably not ten years from now, but probably not three years from it. Like he he was all over the place. He just he doesn't know, right? And and I get that, right? Like we don't always know. And what's so interesting is, is he didn't want the money sitting in cash. He wanted to invest the money. And so I said, okay, so in, and I gave an example. So let's just say three or four years from now, real estate goes down and you want to pounce on something. Would you want to pounce on something right away? Would that, would you want that opportunity available? And he said, yes, I would. I said, so let, let's just play the game. This $10,000 that you're worried about getting a rate of return, if you actually invested it, and let's just say you got an 8% rate of return over the next, and I, I gave him a five year time horizon. Sure. I go, and you got an 8% rate of return. He's like, yeah, that'd be great. I go, what is that money going to grow to? Right. And he, and he had this number in his head that was, I think, quite large because I then put it on, Paper. I shared it with him. Yeah. I said, well, "Let's let's look at that." And I said, "Congratulations, your ten thousand went to fourteen thousand six hundred and ninety three dollars." And he kind of went, "That's it." Oh, <laughs> like yeah. literally was like that's what came out of his mouth. That's it. Again, it's that the mindset of eight percent rate of return, and I even messed with the numbers, like fifteen percent. Like I just started going through this with them. And then I said, so it's not like in a short period of time, like rate of return isn't that sexy at all. It's sexy over long periods of time. We're talking about decades, 30, 40, 50 years. The the trick with compound interest
1: is the amount of time that you're compounding it over.
0: It's the tail end. It's not the beginning, right? So You know, I flipped it on and I go, okay, so and let's just say you didn't get 8%. Let's say you got to four or five years from now, and it it actually went down to $8,000. And he all of a sudden, he goes, let's just leave it in cash. Yep, right. And again, I mean, I'll never forget this his my his his eyes even kind of went, that's it. Like when I told him it was a $4,000 gain over a five year period of time, he was like, what do you frickin do?
1: Yeah, I had a similar experience recently where client had, uh, it's. they're currently sitting on a bunch more cash and like they're going through a fairly significant life change. Uh, one of the spouses is starting their own business and their income is going from a nice six figure income to, we don't know what it's going to be. We think we do, but we don't know. And so they were looking at like potentially having some of those dollars invested and they were getting excited that the market was coming down and asking the question like hey is now a really good time to invest because the market's coming down. And like we walked through like okay well you wanted to you know use this these dollars to buy a house before interest rates started spiking and now it doesn't necessarily the numbers don't pencil out, right? He's like yeah that's what my real estate agents telling me is that it doesn't make any sense right now. Okay, cool. So do we want still want to buy a house? Yes. When interest rates come down? Yes. When's that going to be? I don't know. You're the expert. When's it going to be? I, we don't have a magic crystal ball. We don't know. It's going to come down when it's going to come down. Could be six months. Could be two years. Could be never. Um, but we want to be able to have access to those funds to be able to buy the house, right? Yes. Okay. So how much do we want to be able to set aside for that? We came up with a number and we put that aside. Okay, and how much do we want to be able to have as an emergency reserve, regardless of anything else so that we can pay for like medical emergencies, house emergencies, car emergency, like just the random stuff that pops up in life, right? And they go, oh, well, you you said have at least three months worth of income. So, okay, boom, there's that number. Okay, got it. Now with your income being uncertain, Let's make sure that we have like enough dollars set aside to go through like a burn rate of what we might expect to go through without an income for say the next 12 months. Boom. Okay. Here's what that number is. Okay. Let's set that aside. And we came to a point where like we had accounted for basically like 160 out of the 185. And so like, hey, if you want to go ahead and take the other 25 and invest it, great. I'm good with that. Now let's talk about how, like, if that 25 goes to 20, how concerned are we? Oh, well, we've got this other amount. So we're not that concerned about it. Perfect. That helps me understand that, yes, you are willing and able to take risk. So now we can go ahead and take a look at what do we actually want to do with the rest of that money, knowing that we've got the emergency reserve taken care of, but we've got all of the other components taken care of that aren't going to be stuck in these market-based assets that we may or may not have access to, that we may or may not want to access given what's going on with other people's opinions.
0: Yeah, the it's it's people love to dream. So both of our stories, this isn't us demeaning the clients at all It's, and even Alex and I, like, we think of stuff and we think it's going to be bigger or smaller, right? Like, that's just how human beings are wired. But when you get into the details and really look at, like, how does this all play out? Well, that's a very different story. And so when we talk about promise-based versus market-based assets, this is in pre-retirement, like Alex and I are discussing right now. And this is also in retirement, and this is more spoken into in retirement, mainly because you, know, you think of pensions, right? So people like guaranteed income and that kind of stuff. But it's also important, just as important in pre-retirement, because it allows the flexibility to never touch the money for that compound effect that we just spoke about.
1: Right. But in- and
0: that's a huge, huge like, aha for me in the last decade, like, okay, this isn't about putting as much money as you possibly can in this risky asset class or however you want to set it up to chase return because that's not how life plays out.
1: Well, in in my story, the, the client actually thanked us for like, hey, this is why I hired you. This is why I'm paying you a fee. This is like, thank you for helping me understand this. I now A, have more confidence in investing that 25 and B, I now understand why that is the right number because of the advice that you gave me. And it's like, I'm so incredibly thankful that like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like I would have just asked the client like, okay, cool. How much do you want to invest? Yep. And and, like so many people in our industry and like that would have been better for my bottom line. It would not have been but you better didn't do from- it.
0: but I, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. And this is a key ingredient because I think you know a lot of people in our industry and 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 people listening to to people that are our advisors, they think that they're all selfish. It's not that I, I I don't think many of us like there's always just like in any field, there's always going to be the lemons. But the vast majority of advisors they truly care about their clients. Like, so to your point, when you were just saying, I would have said how much, it's not that you were like trying to affect your personal bottom line. It's just what you knew and what you thought was best for the client.
1: Well, and the the difference in my compensation of investing a hundred grand versus 25 grand, so the the difference is really relatively small. Yep. And, but it's one of those things where like, I wouldn't, I didn't have, the confidence. I didn't have some of the background in promise-based versus opinion-based assets to have some of these conversations. And so to a large extent, I was relying upon the client to tell me like, okay, when are you going to freak out? And you know, now we've got more in the way of like, okay, let's put some science to this. Let's put some thought to how are we going to go ahead and create it? What is the strategy that we're using and not just rely tactically on, oh, hey, I want to do X. Great. That's a great tactic for what you're trying to accomplish. Let's do that. No, no, no. Let's think about this from a strategic standpoint first. What is the overarching thing that we're trying to accomplish? Oh, well, financial freedom or whatever the retirement, college planning, estate plan, whatever the, the overarching topic is. Let's do that first. Then once we've created what that vision is. Now we can start sifting through the tactics that help us create the vision for that strategy.
0: So I was bringing up, out talking about tactics versus strategy, which is a whole episode. We just recorded episode 171. So if you head over to beardmoney.net, episode 171, it's a whole episode on tactics versus strategy. Highly recommend you, you check that out because that was actually one of the, we wanted to do three for, on this episode, right? And that one, like, just myths the cut. And I would actually, I, I think we wanted to put it in, but we wanted to make sure we uh, we keep this as short as possible. So, especially with Alex on it, Mister verbose. So
1: I, I don't know what you're talking about.
0: <laughs> talking to boot. Um, let's let's review what we just spoke about. Right. So the top three things, like financial concepts that Alex and I have learned, relatively, like in the last decade, like. I think we knew about them, but we really like practiced it and integrated it into our personal life and our client life. And Alex is going to interrupt me here. What's up?
1: There's a difference between knowing something and understanding something.
0: Yeah, exactly. So those three uh, concepts we're talking about here is what the link between investments and insurance or or protection is cash flow. Number two, understanding what a midterm bucket can do in terms of your financial plan. And number three, promise-based assets versus market/slash opinion-based assets, and the difference between the two and how to leverage the two of them, which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Our question today
1: is: What is it that you're thankful for financially?
0: So head over to beerandmoney.net, and there's a spot at the top. If you hit the contact page there, you can answer. There's a it'll take you to a different page that have you answer that question, or If you have another question on your mind, either from this episode or just a general question that you would like for us to talk about, that's a spot to fill in that information. And we might talk about it on the next episode.
1: Or if you just want to talk to us one-on-one, ask for that too.
0: We hope that you found this episode valuable. And as always, Mr. Collins, cheers, good buddy.
2: Guardian its subsidiaries agents and employees do not provide tax legal or accounting advice consult your tax legal or accounting professional regarding your individual situation all investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value this material is intended for general public use by providing this content Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Brian and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850. Portland, Oregon 97201, phone number 503-221-1226, securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA, SIPC, financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian, quantified financial partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Berklow AR insurance license number 15319412 CA insurance license number 0K24924 Alexander Collins AR insurance license number 7264699 CA insurance license number 0H24806 Pinpoint number 146863 expiration November 2024